Hello. Hello. I'm Koel. And I'm Kenna. Welcome to the first episode of Diagnosing a Killer. Killer, killer. full of pho. Oh my god, I'm jealous. <laughs> Just so much soup. I'm so jealous. I had Bill Miller and it actually didn't even smack today. Yeah? I was a little disappointed. And I dropped my tea all over the floor. You did! You, before you even came inside, you came in with an empty cup. <laughs> no, I was crying. <laughs> R.I.P. to my sweet tea. Ugh. Well, I didn't need it anyways. <sighs> did well, you end up taking that green tea? No, I drank Casey's tea because he loves me. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> he gave it. He's like, you can have. Mine. I always have to have tea somewhere, like even yeah. yerba mate or green tea or something. Yeah, we are super excited to introduce our new podcast. Yes. We have been thinking about this concept for quite a while, and both of us are very interested in true crime, and we are both big advocates for the mental health community. And mental health awareness. Yeah. So uh, I think that we kind of decided we wanted to put those two together and kind of create this little child. Of yeah. Us. True crime has been kind of blowing up in this way. And I think so more so when you talk about the mental um, health awareness aspect of some of these cases. So I'm really excited to kind of get both of those out there. It's going to be thrilling and entertaining and thought-provoking and it's, yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, and on top of thrilling, entertaining, thought-provoking, those things that you do get with true crime, it'll also be educational and it'll help bring awareness and hopefully you will learn something throughout this process, Uh, not only just about true crime, but about mental health Mm -hmm. and mental illness. And uh, hopefully, I think one of my big goals personally is to um, kind of you know, drive that sense of compassion into people when you do think about mental health and how it does, it can affect people to the point of committing crimes. And it's very unfortunate. And we're not by any way saying that people that are mentally ill will commit crimes, but it does correlate. It does have some sort of prevalence in the cases that we're going to talk about. And so it's, you know, it's, it's good to be aware of those things. Yeah. Just in a general standpoint with mental health, if you know somebody that's struggling, maybe we'll be able to help you kind of understand that more and be able to be a little bit more compassionate towards them. And I think that's a theme that we'll end up seeing is that it's either um, people that have gone undiagnosed or people that have gone without treatment Mm -hmm. or even people that didn't find any of that compassion Mm -hmm. growing up or maybe in a relationship that a lot of these people were ignored or shoved to the side or didn't have that availability or openness with another person enough to be able to express themselves yeah. and then get the help that they needed. So. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we definitely want to hear from you guys. I know we're going to, our plan is to get, you know, some sort of a line of communication open. So we're eventually going to have an email set up and um, social media as well as maybe a couple of other ways to get in contact with us. For sure. So... Well, I do have my very first case, and I'm really excited to share it with you. This is actually a local case. So this happened uh, just north of Dallas, Texas. Okay. So we're from South Texas, because in case anybody's listening that doesn't know us, (laughs) like all two of you that are listening to this. Um, So yeah, um, we're going to be talking about Andre Thomas today. Okay. So Andre Thomas was born on March 17th, 1983 to Rochelle and Danny Thomas. He was the fourth of six boys, uh, raised mostly by their mother in Sherman, Texas. So that's a little bit north of Dallas. What did their dad do? So I'll get, I'll get into the them. They were together, I think, until Andre was about three. Okay. Uh, they were kind of like back and forth, and then he just kind of like 
took off eventually. Aww. And I'll explain okay. why. Not why, yeah. but I'll tell you what his, his explanation <laughs> of it. Uh, so Rochelle, the mother, was actually an alcoholic that also suffered from depression. Uh, she had actually experienced sexual abuse early on in her life, mm. so it's really unfortunate. Um, yeah, that's traumatic, and you definitely carry that with you yeah. for the rest of your life. I mean, that explains almost the alcoholism and depression to me, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. She's actually not the only person in the family to experience mental illness on her kind of generation-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, there were other family members that also suffered from things such as depression, substance abuse, and violence. Actually, 10 years before Andre was even born, his uncle was shot and killed by his <gasps> own father-in-law. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They also say that mental disorders or mental illness can also be, it's a trait that you can mm-hmm. pass down. Yeah. Right, through, mm-hmm. Especially throughout a family. Yeah. So clearly the family dynamic here is like, yeah, there are probably some issues going on that not a lot of people are taking care of. Of course. And it goes back to, we've been, ta- we've talked about this off camera or off mic, um, about how, you know, you can be predisposed to genetic mental illnesses yeah. without even, for something that happened in generations before you that you have zero control over. Right. And something like an environmental trauma can actually cause mm-hmm. that to present itself. So just a quick note about the dad, because we were talking about Danny. He was actually questioned late, like way later on during the trial about Andre's like childhood growing up. So by all accounts, like I said, the dad wasn't around much, uh, but in court when he was questioned, he was adamant that he was, quote, in that house all the time. Ew. Yeah. So he also included the fact that Rochelle would leave for three months at a time frequently. He was trying to, I guess, insert like, oh, look how much of a great daddy and we had such a great relationship. Like he would say like, oh, Andre was the baby. We called them like sweet toonie, like tuna. And you know, oh, he was so sweet. You know, that's why he had that nickname. Kind of like, I guess, like pleading Ew. his case about how he was like this great, like involved dad. But he just wasn't there. Yeah. So according to Danny, in 1986, Rochelle came back for good. And then the two of them separated when he, quote, willingly left. So I willingly left. So he was saying that she was... Against my will. Right? He was saying that she was leaving for months at a time, and then all of a sudden she's back, and he's like, oh, she's back for good. Bye. Like, how do you know she's back for good if she was frequently leaving? Now that there's at least one parent, impossible to have two. Right. You're only allowed one at a time. Now, when he left, he left for Denison, Texas. So that's 75 miles north of Dallas. So just a little bit farther north. He wasn't too far away. Yeah. But he didn't come back. So. (laughs) But he certainly didn't come back. Yeah. And like I said, Andre was about three years old at this time. Mm -hmm. So when asked why he left, Danny said that he just couldn't stand to be in the house with Rochelle at the same time. So get an apartment down the street. Why you got to move away? Right. And have like a civil separation where you can have like joint custody or something. Yeah. Both be exposed to the kids. Right. So he said that he knew that when she had come back for good, he had decided it best for him to leave them with their mom for the majority of the time. But she's not there all the time. So how is that best for the kids? I don't. I don't. If he's such a phenomenal dad, why isn't the kids being with him the best thing? Well, so get this. He also mentions that in the years following, the boys moved back and forth from Denison to Sherman occasionally. Like, they would go up and visit their dad. I guess they took a bus or something and stay with him for, like, a certain amount of time. They would actually go to school half time in both places. Right? It's, like, a terrible dynamic. And this is in the 80s. Yes. That's, like... Come on. Yeah, so he said that they would... This isn't the 1940s or 50s where it's, like, an obligation. Right. Just get over it. If you really think that, like, what's best for your child is for the children to be with the mom, 
Why make them shuttle back and forth? Well, that's the thing. I don't think he made them do anything. I think that they took it upon themselves to go because it was such a shitty home life with their mom. Oh. So the fact that he up and left these boys knowing that they were going to have a shitty household with their mom and didn't give a fuck, you know? like So they went to go escape or, like, yes. they missed their dad. Yes. He wasn't, like, oh. picking them up and bringing them back and forth. They, they were probably... Did say, yeah, maybe a bus or something yeah. like that. So that's he, awful. I know. He said that they would ride bikes, play in the creeks. He said that sometimes they would even skip school to play go in the there. creek. The creek. <laughs> uh, so they pretty much spent half the time with him, half their time with their mom. Yeah. Well, another thing that um, Dad had mentioned during the trial about Andre, he said that he, this is actually kind of cute. Again, pleading his case about how much he oh. was a great relationship. Oh, they're BFFs. He said they used to call him mad scientist because he was always making stuff. Aww. And uh, he was really interested in engineering. Like, he would actually, like, take, like, toy cars apart or whatever and, like, put them back together. Like, yeah. things like that. Like, really cool little hobbies, right? Wicked smart kid. <laughs> Wicked smart. Another part of the trial later on that was mentioned, uh, the prosecutor actually asked Danny if he thought Andre was, quote, the R word. He didn't say it like that, but I don't want to say yeah. it. Yeah. And Danny said no. He but said he had a mental deficiency. Yeah. He yeah. said he seemed... He was very adamant about this response, and he said that, no, like, he was a very bright child, you know? Mm -hmm. There's no evidence of that. Yeah. And just lastly, Danny also mentioned while being questioned that he never had to spank Andre. I thought this was interesting to add, just because physical abuse as a child, no matter how small, is can cause a lot of trauma growing up. Yeah. And a lot of uh, your psyche kind of to become skewed Of course. Up. Then that's what you think that people that love you do to you. Like, or when you love someone, that's what you do to someone yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there is evidence that suggests that kids that are abused or even, like, emotionally degraded can grow up thinking that violence is a way of life. Like, that, and then they, in turn, you know, bring that into their, you know, next relationships Yeah, those stuff. young babies become adults. So, so yeah. yeah. So I thought it was important to mention that According to Danny, this did not happen in Andre's childhood. That he was never spanked or he anything? He was never spanked. Yeah, he didn't, they didn't have any violence or, you know, abuse, physical abuse okay, in the house. Danny. Even though there was definitely a neglect that's abuse <laughs> in and itself, so I don't know. It was definitely neglect. <laughs> I think that my facial and body expression when I said that was funnier than yeah. what I actually said. You look like you were leaning up against a fence post. Like, <laughs> hey, kid, you want a cigarette? One for you. Yeah. They're good for you. Yeah. Like you had rolled cuffs on yeah. your jeans. Like, <laughs> Severely abused. Yeah, you neglected. <laughs> Severely abused. I love that. Shout out, Boston. <laughs> now, on the mother's side, like I said, the house was in very rough shape. They uh, were being raised in part-time. Like I told you, they were going back and forth. The house had no running water, no heat, no electricity. At his mom's? Yes. But yet, it yes. was the better place to be. It was best that they stayed there. You Danny. Oh, oh, you scoundrel. Now, because this was the case, the boys would uh, spend the majority of their downtime at the Harmony Baptist Church down the street rather oh. than at home. Uh, they began so to be noticed, of course, as frequent flyers in the church. And many people around town seemed to know about their living situation. So mm -hmm. they kind of just let it slide. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, a church is there to help you, right? Yeah, of course. And I mean, of course... Uh, of course, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> I can see, especially from the pers perspective of the church, it's like, well, at least they're in here. They're not out there getting in trouble. Yeah, you know, I mean, I probably the streets or whatever. I probably would have gone a little bit farther and, you know, maybe called like CPS. A parent. Or but, yeah. <laughs> One of the parents. Yeah. And we'll see that this becomes a theme this entire case that there are so many people that had so many opportunities to help Andre and they just turned a blind eye and they didn't. They didn't. And it caused him to go down this That's horrible sad. path. Now, despite all these hardships that Andre is facing as a child, you know, with his father not living in the same city as mom being a transient drug user, alcoholic, probably not paying much attention to them. Uh, Andre actually did really well in school for the first few years. His Sunday school teacher even said that he would raise his hand and answer questions before she could finish asking them. So he's Aww, one of those kids, yeah. I love that. I know, isn't that sweet? 
He's so, a Tracy flick. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, by all accounts, seemed that he had, like, a very good intuition into context clues, like, paying attention, really being on top of things when it came to academics. Well, you know, that makes a little bit more sense, too, because, and I and I have seen that in a few other, um, just, like, true crime things that I've seen and stuff. Yeah. That um, some people, when they have, like, a really bad home life, they throw themselves into academics. Or of they course. throw themselves into sports. Yeah. Because that's where they... Yeah. And it's, like, a way to spend all of their time. Yeah. So they also don't have to go home. So, exactly. yeah. They... For sure. Exactly. It gives him something to focus on. So, by all accounts, other family members of Andre's would say that he enjoyed sketching futuristic cars. He wanted to design cars one day, and he would constantly talk about it. That's so cute. Isn't that so sweet? Um, on top of all of this, he was even in the GT program at school. Wow. So, that in Texas, that's gifted and talented. I'm not sure if it's different other places or if it's called something else, but I just mm-hmm. wanted to mention that. Um, I was in the GT program in school, just to say that. In, like, elementary school, when it it didn't matter. (laughs) She was, like, for one year. (laughs) Um, There's also a quote mentioned from his sister-in-law, Rachel Callis, that said, quote, we definitely saw him doing great things, but he definitely didn't go down that road. So that was, like, a quote later on. This makes me... This is already breaking my heart. I know. Like, it's a really sad case. Kid. It's really unfortunate. So around 1990 to 1991, Andre actually attended three different schools in two different states. So in 1991. So he was, like, seven or eight years old? Yeah. Um, so I wasn't able to find the other state in my research, but I'm assuming it's Oklahoma just because it's, like, right there. Yeah. Um, but it was pretty clear that he attended one school in Sherman, Texas, where Rochelle lived, one in Denison, Texas, where his dad lived. And I'm not sure about the third one. Yeah. Um, either way, uh, three different schools in two different states within a year, yeah. like, that can definitely take a toll on your social, you know, personality. Right. And just your psyche. And yeah, because you don't get a chance to connect with anybody. Yeah, exactly. So he definitely had it had it rough socially during those Parents are doing a great job. Right? Yeah, A+. Plus. So we're going to fast forward to when Andre was about 10 years old. This is where it's most noted that his behavior started to change significantly. Hmm. So according to some of his classmates, he told them that he heard, quote, angels and demons arguing in his head. So that sounds like schizophrenia spectrum to me. Yeah, especially at 10. Yes, and 10 is a very early age to start showing signs of schizophrenia. Well, is it, though? Because I thought that schizophrenia was anywhere from, like, 8 to 12. No, schizophrenia... Because it doesn't appear at all in children, like babies yeah, and, I don't and think adolescents. That, I don't think that schizophrenia spectrum shows itself until your late teens. Oh, really? I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so he also claimed that he was Raiden. This was a Mortal Kombat character that was based on the Japanese deity Raijin, and he was depicted as the god of thunder who possesses control over lightning. Ooh, like Odin. Yes. That's cool. So, like, this alone is not a red flag, obviously, because yeah. children have very imaginative minds. Well, and it's minds. Mortal Kombat. Mortal yeah, Kombat. Yeah, I know. So, so cool. the fact that he's And Raiden's him, awesome. Yeah. And he thinks that this character is... He's this character. That's not the issue. That's, you know, that's fun. Yeah. But the fact that he said that he's hearing the angels and demons, that's a little bit abnormal for a children's imagination to kind of make up. Especially well, if you're hearing, it's auditory. And at 10, because usually, like, imaginary friends pop up. I mean, you know, I have I have a son who's in his younger years. Yeah. His imaginary friends started popping up, like, probably three, four. Yeah. When they start realizing that there's other kids that are their age and they mm-hmm. kind of want a sibling, it's usually around that age. 10, I feel like, is pretty late to be mm-hmm. saying that you have, like... Not that he's saying he has imer- imaginary friends. Yeah. But one, an adult might perceive them to be imaginary yeah. friends, right? So I feel like that's a little old. Yeah. And actually, this also points to schizophrenia spectrum to me because auditory delusions or hallucinations is actually the most common symptom of schizophrenia. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. This is also the time in his childhood when he started smoking weed. 
At 10? At 10 years old, he started smoking weed, which is absolutely awful that he has access to it, let well, alone he's smoking the devil's smoking lettuce. It. No wonder he's... What are you seeing angels? Your brain demons? is so underdeveloped at that point that it can be really detrimental yeah. to your, the development of your brain and of your course. mental health. Well, later on, it was actually thought to be a way to try to control the voices in his head. So they thought yeah, that he was like trying to, to um, self, self-medicate with the weed. At the age of 11, he was actually arrested for the very first time. For having weed? No. Oh. He was charged with criminal mischief for an apartment complex pool escapade, which sounds very dramatic. <laughs> He was literally... Tell me about this scenario. He was literally with some buddies, and they, like, broke into an apartment complex pool and Mm -hmm. got, like... The cops came, I guess, because they didn't live there. They weren't allowed to be there. And they probably just, like, ran away. And they were like, apartment complex pool escapade. An escapade. Like, it's this giant, like, James Bond. Was that in the the newsletter for the apartment complex? Like, it's, like, next door. Oh, there was an escapade. Like... Uh, With an 11-year-old and his friends. Like, that's ridiculous. That's silly. So, for this arrest, he was actually placed on probation at the age of 12. For being in a pool when he wasn't supposed to? Yeah. Well, they're, according to the community, it seems like these are troubled kids because their mom and their home life isn't very good, and they're just well, breaking into things. Well, they're also smoking weed at 11 years old, 10 or 11 That's years true. old. That's true. But at the same time, like, they're just kids. Like, yeah. so what, now this kid has a record at age 11 because he was break, pretty Being much breaking and entering? Is yeah. that what they're trying to say? Breaking and entering to a pool maybe yeah. after hours or something? I don't know. Maybe just in general? Not even after hours? So this case <sighs> so plan... stupid. This case plan for his probation was signed by him and his probation officer, Michael Polk, but neither of his parents. He's 12. Uh, what? So, um, you'll see why in a second. They obviously because they're shitty shit. fucking people? <laughs> I know why you told me. That. So this case plan required him to obey curfew and report to the courthouse twice a week. He's How is he going to get there? 12 years old. How is he? I mean, he's going to have to he's take the bus walk? or something or walk. So the fact that this wasn't signed by either of his parents is, of course, just as bizarre to you as it is to me because he was a minor. Not even that. They're expecting him to show up at the courthouse. What the hell? His parents either don't know about this or they don't care. So how is he supposed to make it there? That's so sad. After looking into this farther, I actually found out that his mother wanted absolutely nothing to do with him once he was on probation and frequently told him that she wishes she had aborted him when he was a fetus. (gasps) So, like, your son gets in trouble for doing something that you are allowing and not saying they're bad at all for kids because you fucking do it. And then you tell him, tell him something like that. That is, like, the most heartbreaking thing. Like Danny is, clearly knew what was best for him. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was... Wherever you're at, Danny, fuck you. Literally. Now, because of this reason, he always met his probation officer alone and neither of his parents were around for it. Which... There is, I'm not in any way indicating that this probation officer was crooked at all, but that's, that's a but liability in itself. Exactly. He's he 13 could or 12 be. at this time, you know, like that's scary. Like it could, and nothing ever happened that I saw, but that, you know, it could have potentially been a that's very horrible. bad situation for him. Like they, I mean, I know that there's probably things in place now that like a child that's in that type of a situation has an advocate that likely go with them to these things or pick yeah. them up or chauffeur them or whatever. But, there has to be. Yeah. I mean, especially, I mean, this was in the nineties, but yeah, especially now you would think. So by the age of 13, he actually made his first suicide attempt by slitting his <sighs> wrist. It seems like a very intense way to try to commit suicide at the age of 13. At 13. Yeah. So I can only imagine, and this is me speculating, maybe what he had seen at school or with his mom or something, you know? Like, that sounds, like, really intense. 
Uh, he ended up being okay and just received some stitches for his wounds. But stitches, I mean, that's a, you know, you have to have a pretty traumatic it's wound to get stitches. clearly significant enough to have to go to the hospital. Yeah. So it's unknown whether or not his parents knew about this, but I'm sure they did because he was injured and they had to call him. Or not, because they didn't tell him about the probation thing or they didn't care. So. Yeah. No, they pro- <laughs> he probably had to walk to the fucking hospital. Yeah. So at age 15, he had a series of arrests, uh, building up his record. These arrests included one for stealing a car. And while he was in juvie for this, he was placed on suicide watch for a while, but he never received any ongoing mental health treatment following his release. Hmm. You know, just like what you do. So at age 16, he's actually expelled from Sherman ISD's alternative education program and placed in the Alternative Learning Academy. I couldn't really find the difference in these two, but maybe the Learning Academy is for people with low attendance, or maybe it's a yeah. more focused on behavioral rather than, like, education. I don't know. So alternative school is basically, like, mm, like if you were to get your education while also being in juvie. <laughs> okay. So it's not, like, but it's not locked down like a jail. You can come and go, like, and, you know, honestly, some kids just choose not to show up. But it's pretty much, like, a more condensed... It's like go. Have you ever been to ISS? Nope. Did you ever go to after-school detention? Or nope. sat- Saturday detention? Yeah, I went to after-school detention. <laughs> okay. But it was just like, do your homework and leave. Like, okay. Imagine that, but like a school. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's like concentrated, mm-hmm. like you're more eyeballed and, you know, but you do get more one-on-one time with teachers. Yeah. So it can be helpful for kids that are like in trouble and they can't go to regular school because the regular school doesn't want you anymore because yeah. you caused too much of a fuss yeah. and you well, go I mean, to alternative school. He's and, having a yeah. lot of arrests at this point and, you know, acts of defiance and stuff. Well, I'm surprised that he, it, he was 16. They made it all the way to 16 in yeah. school, honestly. Yeah. Now, during this time, another suicide attempt is made by, this time, by scratching the skin off of his wrist with his nails. Out. This second suicide attempt does not work and he is bandaged up and sent on his way. Mm-hmm. Again, no follow-up for the mental health. Mm-hmm. So this is where he starts to take a turn for the worse. He already has a track record, of course, of not great, you mm-hmm. know, arrest record and stuff. Petty things like, mm-hmm. well, stealing cars not petty, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Small, seemingly small acts. Of- Compared to what happens later. Yes. Um, at 16, still, Andre begins dating a woman named Laura Boren. Mm-hmm. Laura is a young white woman, which is important to mention because Andre is a young black man. Laura's about 15 at this time, and after dating, she finds out that she's pregnant. So after finding out that Laura's pregnant, Andre drops out of school to work several jobs in order to support her and the baby. So mm-hmm. dropping out of school, not the greatest move, but also he's doing it, I guess, for the right yeah, reasons to work. Yeah, he's doing the right thing. Yes. Yeah. On August in 1999, Laura gave birth to their child, Andre Thomas Jr. Oh, a baby. And on March 17th, 2001, on Andre's 18th birthday, the two got married. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, their marriage does not work out, and they ultimately separated only four months later. Oh. Oh my gosh. I know. It's very short. After the marriage broke up, Andre experienced much more intense delusions and suicidal thoughts. Now, Mm. at this point, you know, he had already attempted suicide twice with seemingly no concern from either of his parents and absolutely no mental health consult. Right. God forbid. Um, No help or even self-help at this point. He's not doing anything. Uh, During this time, he became obsessed over apocalyptic concepts in the Book of Revelation, and he had trouble keeping a job because of it. So I mentioned, like, it's okay to have peaked interest in anything, but when it starts to affect your daily life, your and job, your finances, and your relationships, yeah. that's when it becomes an obsession and a problem. Um, this actually got so bad that he began to believe that his ex-wife, Laura, was Jezebel. If you don't know who Jezebel is, if you're not a Christian or you don't follow the Bible, Jezebel was the daughter of Ithbal, who was the king of Sido, and the wife of Ahab, king of Israel. It's said that in the Bible, she promoted the worship of false gods, 
harassed and killed God's prophets and arranged for an innocent man to be falsely charged and executed. So not a good lady. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That wasn't a compliment. Yeah. So in Andre's mind, Jezebel, terrible person, needs to be punished. On top of thinking that she's Jezebel, he's now thinking and believing that his baby son is the Antichrist. Oh, no. So you can see where this is going. I just... I know. Back to when you said, like, clearly the parents aren't taking care of any of this or whatever, but, like, what about, like, school officials? What about teachers? Like, they're mandated reporters. It just gets worse with the lack of help for him. Seriously. Like, it's absolutely baffling to me how many opportunities this guy had to get help and nobody fucking cared. And that's, like... That's why I wanted to do this one for the very first one, to really, yeah. really push in the fact that this is a mental health advocacy podcast that touches on true crime. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I am not by any way saying that he doesn't deserve to be punished for his actions. However, mm-hmm. there's a lot of op- opportunity for him to not have even gone yeah. down this path, you right. know? So fast forward to January 2002, Andre got arrested again on an assault charge. Sidebar, sorry, you said that it was important that we know that she's white and he's black. Why? It'll come up later. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, thank you. I just didn't know you were going to revisit that at all. I will. I I will. Like, you're like, it's very important. It's important to note. No. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, it's important. Um, so he reported that he drinks two 40-ounce beers each day and he has a history of suicide attempts. So he's doing the right thing. He's telling them, hey, I am self-medicating and I am suicidal, yeah. you know? Uh, the charge was actually for stabbing one of his brothers over an altercation over music. So the background story of this, real quick, is that oh my gosh. his brother was playing this loud music. I guess they lived together. He was staying with him or something. Yeah. And Andre believed that the loud music was actually sending evil spirits through the walls, and he didn't like that. So he told the brother... <laughs> I'll say. I to, wouldn't like that. <laughs> so he told the brother to turn the music off, yeah. and when he didn't, he stabbed him and was arrested and placed on suicide mm-hmm. watch, but it was not ind- indicted. So... Well, how... I mean, not that you know, but how bad was the stabbing? Was it just like he was, once? He was fine. Yeah, he wasn't. So it was it, just like it wasn't enough to mention. You know, it was just like was, eh, turn the music up, <laughs> <laughs> turn the music down. It's, not funny. it's a little funny. During this time of his arrest, he was noted as saying things along the lines of that he was quote reliving the same day over and over, and continued to speak of the angels and demons arguing in his head. So this is coming up again this many years later. He's like 20 at this time. You probably have no perception of time. Yeah. Like, if you feel like you're reliving the same day. Like Groundhog or, Day. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's like Groundhog Day. But, like, if you feel like they're constantly talking to you, do you ever sleep? Do yeah. you ever have a moment's rest? Your yeah. brain is constantly working. I mean, it, it has to be disorienting. That's like a really, like... I can't even imagine. Like, Me people, neither. Like, people... I feel like I have some tendencies towards, like, having anxiety. Yeah. And what if... And I know that feeling about when my brain just won't shut off. And I, I think most people liken that, especially... Because there's memes about it. It's got to be more than just me that experiences this yeah. or just you. Like, when you're laying in bed and those thoughts are just going... And, and all of a sudden it's 5 a.m. And you can't and sleep. Like... But could you imagine if that was your life every day all the time? No, people that... You would have no idea what time it is. People that are living with schizophrenia and, you know, are living full lives with schizophrenia, I think are truly remarkable. Like, yeah. that is such an intense, you know, mental dis- disorder to come, like, to a like get a hold of and you yeah. know and, and go get through and and, and properly know. diagnose it too because exactly. there's got to be so many other um what's that called like with a when you what's that called when you have like something and then there's all those underlying things comorbidity yes comorbidity so the comor- comorbidity might be sending off all of these other symptoms that you yeah. just treat little by little and you don't treat the schizophrenia yeah exactly yeah. so you're 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 seeing all these other 
forward presenting right. symptoms rather yeah. than like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So like he's obsessed with religion. It's yeah. not that it comes from the schi- like nobody thinks it comes from the schizophrenia. Yeah. Everybody just thinks that he's like a nut. Sorry, but like a nut job. <laughs> a nut job. I mean, you know, <laughs> which I don't want to use terms like yeah. that. But you know, people might just be like, okay, that guy's religiously weird. Like yeah. he's too obsessed with the religion. Yeah. And not understand that he has a disorder. Yeah. So thankfully for a little while after this, he was able to control his urges and thoughts and everything was good, but I wouldn't say very good. He was just nonviolent mm-hmm. for a few years. In March, 2004, this is three years after the divorce, after the divorce and his son is now three years old. Mm-hmm. A friend of Andre's noticed that he was acting strange and took him to a mental health clinic. What a fucking guy. That guy's like the the truest of the true blue I don't know right if it now. Was a guy or, or a girl, but that what a person. person. <laughs> that person it has done more in his life than than anyone else up until this point. Seriously. Now, of course, his mental health status had been very rocky and obvious since he was ten. He's now twenty one. Oh, so wow. this has been eleven years later that somebody's actually trying to help him get his mental health under control. Yeah. Awesome! Yay! Woohoo! Good, go on you. Good on you. Uh, they took him to a mental health clinic where Andre literally said to the people in the mental health clinic that he was going to jump in front of a bus and kill himself if he could not speak to somebody. So right this way. He Mr. also Thomas. says he also says, quote, life is too much for me and I want to die right now. What would you say if you if that was someone that came into your clinic? I'd probably give them an extended stay insurance or rent free. You immediately I mean, to take him back. Yeah. Okay, well, these people did the quite opposite and said, oh, you need they to go to the away? emergency room. They turned him away? Yeah. They said, oh, we can't help you here. You need to go to the ER. Like, if you're suicidal, you need to go to... Uh, you're a fucking mental health yeah. clinic. Yeah. What is that? Like, what? You're telling me that nobody else in that mental health clinic wants to kill themselves? Seriously. Seriously. Oh, oh, don't worry. They took a bit more action, however, and they had a judge prepare an emergency detention order, which it can be helpful in order to detain somebody needing to be on suicide watch, like, against their will. Yeah. However, it can take up to 12 hours to complete. So... What? This guy is immediately in imminent danger of hurting of himself. himself. And maybe that's why they said go to the emergency room, is so that they could... Okay, even if, but what pump him full of drugs because that's typically calm him down, do. yeah, until he's not feeling like shit anymore, and then send and him then on send his him way. Off. But even if they were like, "Hey, go to the emergency room," don't you think they would have like arranged for him to get there? Yeah, so saying like, "Go on, like, go on, figure yeah, it out, make exactly this- okay, go, go on to the next place." Shame on those fucking people for sure. So, what do you think happens next? Oh yeah, he doesn't go to the fucking emergency room. Yeah, he of just course. leaves because he's like, "Okay, well, I'm not gonna get the help. Clearly, I'm asking for help again." And it's now a pattern of behavior where he's asking for help and nobody's willing to help him. Seriously. So he just accepts that now. So he doesn't go to the ER. Shocker. (sighs) Three weeks later, he attempts suicide yet again, this time by stabbing himself in the chest. It was unsuccessful and he went to Texoma Medical Center. When asked what happened, he said that he was trying to, quote, cross over into heaven. That is a red flag for mental illness Mm -hmm. right there. Mm -hmm. And the physicians at the ER should at least have a little bit of no- background knowledge of mental health and how it presents yeah. itself, mental illness, I mean, and how it presents itself. Like, that should have been a tall tale sign. Like, okay, this guy is... Well, don't people, like, when they go to the hospital for um, for suicide attempts, don't they get a psych eval before they leave? Yeah, so, like, I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> this is infuriating. <laughs> So the wound was determined to not be life-threatening, but the ER physician arranged for psychiatric commitment either way. 
<laughs> Unfortunately, while these arrangements were being made, Andre left the ER. How? Because no one was watching him, even though they were waiting for a psychiatric fucking consult. No. They just left him in the room by himself with probably sharp objects. I just, I think of those, like, typical, like, uh, movie scenes where somebody's trying to sneak out of a hospital. They're, like, in a hospital gown. Yes. That was likely him. Literally. So, also, what about that uh, detention order? The emergency detention order? It's been three weeks. Don't they have that on file? It's been three weeks? It's been three weeks. They should have that on file. And in that case, they shouldn't have allowed him to leave. At that point, it's emergency detention. He doesn't have free will to leave. And it's not like an A. they can do an AMA. Like, he is literally detained for at least 72 hours. No one communicated with each other. No one cares. No one cares. That's awful. That is so awful. Boo. Shame on you. Boo. So after the physician noticed that Andre was gone, they notified the uh, the Denison Police Department. Good, right? Uh, Sure. This is where his dad was living. So not where he was in Sherman, but where his dad was living, I guess, because they looked up his address on file or whatever, and that's where it was. So maybe he was like, maybe he's going back to see his dad. Like, let me call them and let them know. When the physician contacted the police, they said... I believe at this point that Andre may be dangerous dangerous to himself and or society. Police never had any contact with him after that. They didn't even follow up. They didn't even try to get a hold of Andre. What? Literally. Did they go to the dad's house at all? Not, no. not that I saw. Not that they noted. Oh my god. Like, do you see how many fucking opportunities <sighs> these people have to stop what's about to happen from happening? Now, this is March 27th, 2004. This is two days after leaving the hospital against medical advice. And while they were trying to get him set up. Andre, this is where I'm going to detail the crime. So, content warning. Andre proceeded to go to Laura's apartment, his ex-wife, where she was living with her new 13-month-old daughter that she had had with her current relationship. And her and Andre's four-year-old son they shared was also there, Andre Jr. Andre went into the apartment, kicked in the door, and proceeded to stab Laura to death. Now, it was mentioned that he had three knives, and I'll explain why. After fatally wounding Laura, he actually tried to remove her heart with the knife, but he accidentally removed a piece of her lung instead because he was didn't know. Well, the I mean, yeah. Um, so after this, he proceeded to go to the bedroom, which was shared by his four-year-old son and the 13-month-old daughter, proceeded to do the same thing to both of them. He actually successfully removed both of their hearts. And oh, so sad. Um, I didn't really find anything about why he wanted to remove their hearts, but sources did say that because he thought his ex-wife was Jezebel and his son was the Antichrist, that maybe he was trying to like make sure that they were like that actually they- gone. Or um, they not trophies, but that they made sure that that part of them was wasn't so they taken. I don't know, you yeah. know. He also, I mentioned that he had brought three knives into the house. He mentioned that he used a different knife on each victim mm-hmm. because he didn't want their blood to mix because that could in turn. Was he Jehovah's Witness? No, no, no. He he thought that the blood contained like demon spirits, and if they he allowed the blood to mix, the demon could like travel from the bodies oh. and then like live. Okay, much. You know, does yeah. that make sense? Not really, but you, you no, see what yeah, I'm yeah. So this next part, I saw two different accounts from two different sources, so I'm going to say them both. After he had fatally stabbed all three of the victims, the first account said that he went into the living room where his ex-wife was. He laid down on the floor and he stabbed himself in the chest three mm-hmm. times, um, ex- expecting to die from his wounds. Mm-hmm. It then said that after he was realized that he wasn't going to die, he stood up, put the organs in his pockets, and then walked home. That was the first source. Okay. The second one said. After he fatally stabbed everybody, he also put the organs in his pockets, but then he went home and stabbed himself in the chest there. Oh, So I'm not sure which one. I think the second one was a little bit more, it made a little bit more sense to me because of what happens next. Yeah. So upon arriving at home, again, it doesn't say before, after I'm sure it was before he stabbed himself, Mm -hmm. 
Uh, he placed the organs in a bag and just threw them in the trash. Hmm. He immediately called his ex-wife's parents. Right. After he got... Oh. After he before got Before or after he stabbed himself. I'm assuming this is before, just because... Yeah. If you stab yourself, you're probably not, like, ready to, like, make a phone call. Right. But, but the know. other account was that he'd stabbed himself, he tried to take a nap, and he just woke up and then walked home. So well, <laughs> how bad true. the wounds were. Yeah. It, they Either weren't way. life-threatening, I don't yeah. think. Well, I mean, they were pretty bad. Okay, so... Now, they didn't answer the phone, but he did leave a voicemail for them, which is haunting. That's awful. You know, so the voice, the voicemail says the following, quote, um, Sherry, this is Andre. I need y'all's help. Something bad is happening to me and it keeps happening and I don't know what's going on. I need some help. I think I'm in hell and I need help. Somebody needs to come help me. I need help bad. I'm desperate. I'm afraid to go to sleep. So when you get this message, come out to the house, please. Hello? That's the voicemail. Oh my gosh. Like imagine getting that. Because it doesn't say anything that happened. It's just So you get that voicemail and you're like, Do you think he was trying to lure them? No, I don't think so at all. I think that he really realized that he messed up and he was terrified and he didn't know what to do. He probably doesn't even know how bad it was. Exactly. So shortly after this, Andre walked to the police department in Sherman, Texas and turned himself in. Mm. He entered the department at approximately 9.30 a.m. where, standing in the lobby, he told dispatcher Cindy Card that he had just killed his wife and wanted to turn himself in. A nearby officer rushed to the lobby and kind of, like, patted him down for weapons. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he, when the police arrived, most of them, and, you know, he was talking to them, he told them that he, quote, thought God wanted to kill them, and, quote, will I be forgiven? That's what he said. I know. Like, really terrible. That's so sad. He was noted as being calm and lethargic as, the office, as he told the officer that he had also stabbed himself in the chest. Mm-hmm. So this is really like showing the lack of understanding and empathy that yeah. like he doesn't he's completely understand. disconnected. He doesn't get it. Yeah. Now he also explained that he killed each victim with separate knives because, like I said earlier, he told them about the demons. You know, he didn't want to mix their blood. Uh, he was also quoted as saying, "Quote: If the victim's blood were allowed to mix, the demon may survive." He was, of course, immediately taken into custody and sent to the hospital to take care of the wounds. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Uh, he went to the hospital and underwent, and underwent chest surgery at this point. Yeah. Did so, he escape after that again? Right. They let them leave again? <laughs> let him leave again? just don't watch him. So this is five days after the murders. He's in jail awaiting trial. Content warning. Andre, at this point, took it upon himself to remove his right eyeball with his bare hands. What? Like... He removed his it, own right eyeball with his bare hands. And, like... In, <laughs> are you okay? Like in, like in jail awaiting yes. trial? He ripped out his own eye. Yes. Um, after doing so, he al- actually asked for, uh, for Laura, showing that he clearly had no idea that she was gone. Um, so when asked about what the reasoning was behind him removing his eyeball, he, um, one source said that he was reading the Bible while in jail and he came across Matthew 5 verse 29, which says, quote, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Another source that I read said that after pulling his eye out, he quoted Mark 9, verse 14, which states, quote, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. So so he thought by doing that, he would, he might save himself from going to hell. Yes. Which he had already said that he felt like he was in. So it kind yes. of, imagining a life that's worse than the one that you have. Yeah. That's scary. It's very sad. I think that, that although it doesn't make sense yeah it makes sense yeah you can you, you can know? understand where he's coming from yeah his the you know if the I was, mindset of him if i was that scared then i probably would too yeah. right uh so two psychologists came after this and interviewed him to determine his competence to withstand trial mm. 
perfect. Which actually, that's what I want to do for my career later in life. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to do that. Um, they actually both agreed that he met the standards to be diagnosed with schizophrenia. Bum, there mm-hmm. we go. There's his diagnosis. Um, they also yeah, it declared only took him... them this long to for him to be evaluated. Yeah, they also declared him incompetent to stand trial. So due to this diagnosis, he was sent to North Texas State Hospital, and this is in mid June two thousand and four. This is a mental housing unit for prisoners, and he was finally sent to a place that could potentially help get a handle on the, you know, mm. diagnosis. He spent 47 days in the hospital, and at this time, psychiatrist Joseph Black, you're going to not like this guy, he wrote to the court that Andre had suffered from drug-induced psychosis, adding that he was indeed competent, and he might attempt to exasperate his mental illness by engaging in self-harm or other erratic behavior. What? So he's saying, no, this guy's not schizophrenic. He's a drug user and an alcohol abuser. That's what made him psychotic, not the mental illness that he, quote unquote, has. And then he was using physical harm against himself in order to to perpetuate the idea that he was insane. Yes. So because of this, Joseph Black, he had the previous diagnosis of schizophrenia and unfit to stand trial completely thrown out the window. So now they're going to try him. They're going to try him for like... As being competent. Yes. So one psychiatrist comes in and he's like, no, those other guys don't know what the hell they're talking about. This is my diagnosis or anti-diagnosis, I guess. He's fine. Let's try him. And this is this the guy that was from the house, the the psychiatric house? This guy is or just, just random. Okay. He's just a random He's probably for the prosecution. prosecution. Of course. Of course. That's awful. Now, during this trial, Andre had a defense attorney named R.J. Haggard. Um, the defense attorney that he had was actually ill- with pancreatitis during the trial, and he later came out and said that he regretted not objecting to Joseph Black's statement of Andre being fit to stand trial. So, he had pretty much admitted that he dropped the fucking ball, and if he had just been like, no, like, if he challenged Joseph Black, he could have maybe had a complete different outcome for the trial. Um, This is awful. This is an awful story. This is really awful. (laughs) Uh, and this is just worth noting because I thought it was interesting. I actually looked up the signs and symptoms of pancreatitis to see that if anything that this guy was potentially experiencing during the trial mm-hmm. could have affected his ability to uh, have a fair trial. Mm-hmm. So pancreatitis symptoms include severe abdominal pain, upper back pain, rapid heartbeat, upset stomach, favor, favor, <laughs> fever, <laughs> favor. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the favor. <laughs> <clears throat> fever, weight loss, nausea and vomiting. Stop. <laughs> favor. Fever, weight loss, nausea and vomiting, tender belly, bleeding and dehydration. So I'm not sure about you, but if I was experiencing one or more of these <laughs> like, symptoms, at least two of those, I'd be like, I'm not coming in. I probably today. wouldn't be in the yeah. best state of mind. Like literally, you could have postponed the trial. Seriously. Well, not only or that, but a sub. Yeah, not only that, but uh, any types of medications that he might have been on to kind of help with those symptoms, like pain medication, that can alter the way that he's thinking. And And he did come out later, and he was like, I fucked up. Like, I shouldn't have gone through. I should have, like, been more, like, mentally, like, there, you know, competent. So that was in March 2004 when the crime happened. This is now February 15th, 2005, when his trial begins. He was only charged for the death of Laura's 13-month-old daughter, um, and I'm not exactly sure why he wasn't charged for Laura or Andre Jr.'s deaths. It might have been something to do with, like, they were trying to paint him as such a monster because this 13-year-old innocent baby, but even as the Thir- 4-year-old... 13-month-old. 13-month-old thir- thir- innocent baby. You know, like, maybe, I don't know, 
or maybe they had like the most concrete evidence for that murder rather than the others. I'm not sure. It didn't really explain exactly why. Either way, he got charged with just that, that, uh, death. Okay, this is where the full circle comes back to the fact that Laura was a white woman and Andre was a black man. During, during trial, Andre faced an all-white jury because, I mentioned that because during this time, three of the jurors and one alternate that was there just in case all indicated that they were opposed to interracial couples marrying or having children. Oh my god. So I don't know why they let these jurors continue on with this trial. Um, they had racially insensitive, you know, judgments or, you know, about interracial marriage and reproduction. And one of the jurors actually indicated specifically, quote, I don't believe God intended for this. We should stay with our bloodline. Oh my God. And they let these people be on the jury of a young black man. That is... Oh my God. Isn't it supposed to be a jury of your peers? Yeah. That is not a jury of his peers. But the thing is, is like, and a lot, not a lot of people know this about jury selection. The prosecution and the defense both have to agree on who's sitting in that jury. Yeah. So, so what the fuck? The defense had to have known these things before. So what so the hell? They Again, clearly don't fucking care either. RJ Haggard dropping the ball. Yeah. Now, Andre's sanity was clearly a topic of interest during the trial, and his behavior his behavior during the trial was described as almost catatonic at times. Mm. Uh, well, you and I know, and if you don't know what the word catatonic means, it involves a lack of movement, awareness, or communication. So he's pretty much, like, staring into space, like, and not the, really paying attention, doesn't right. really understand what's going on. And that on. also aligns with schizophrenia. Yep. Yeah. He was also reported as eating Skittles during the trial for quite some time, which I don't know why they mentioned that, but it's, I guess it's kind of like, oh, and he can just sit here and eat a snack, you know, or whatever. <laughs> so the jury is also jealous that he yeah. has a snack. He has candy, damn it. He has candy. Where's my candy? So, of course, his defense attorneys put forth an insanity defense because he has this long history of mental illness, and the other psychologist said that he was uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia, mm. but then Joseph Black came in and got it removed. Uh, in response, the state said that Andre's mental illness was caused or worsened by drug use, and they said that the, quote, Texas law invalidates an insanity defense if the mental condition was a result of voluntary action. Because he's black. Because, because he's, he's black, black, he uses drugs. That's what they're trying to say. Yeah. So they're pretty much saying, yeah, he might be, like, a little mentally ill, but he's, like, making it much worse with drugs and alcohol, so that's his fault. That he's having those signs and symptoms of schizophrenia. Of schiz- which has nothing to do with the, again... The drugs and the alcohol are a comorbidity. They yeah. are not the the cause of it. Yes. Those are symptoms yeah. of his schizophrenia. So the defense rebuttals and says, uh, no, the removal of his eyeball proves that he was insane when this happened and at the time of the crime. Because he wasn't on drugs or drinking during that. Yeah. And the state chalked it up to a, quote, impulsive act rather than insanity. I swear to God. My, okay, impulsive act act i buy like 50 dollars worth of food as an impulsive act that i don't eat like i'm sorry but like i start painting my nails as an impulsive act and then i never finish the rest of like them. what the hell an impulsive yeah. bro i don't think i've ever yeah no i would like to take a if i could take a world poll right now and ask how many people have ripped out their eyeballs on an impulse the answer is likely zero close to none yeah like, what the fuck? So, by the end of the trial, Andre was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death. 
like literally i'm like cringing so awful there's a lot of stigma surrounding the insanity plea of course it's like super hard to get approved as the insanity defense because you really have to prove pretty much that your client had no fucking clue what they were doing at the time of the crime and even when you do prove that sometimes the insanity defense still doesn't resonate with the jury yeah big names like ted bundy and charlie manson they actually both tried to plead insanity which is like fuck off because no but you know there's a lot of times in history where the insanity defeat gets proposed and then it gets denied. It's right. very rare, mm-hmm. uh, which I want to do like an entire podcast episode on the insanity plea. I think that would be super interesting. Yeah. Cause I think Berkowitz even tried to plead insanity. Yeah. A and lot he of the was big names do. Schizophrenic as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I don't think that his ever went through. Yeah. After the trial, Andre was sent to the Texas department of criminal justice's Polunsky unit. This is where death row inmates are housed. And during this time, he continued to hear voices and claimed to see a six inch tall demon coming out of the prison wall and playing music from the band Queen. I love Queen. I love Queen so much, but that's terrifying. <laughs> I don't know if I'm terrified or turned on. <laughs> no, six but foot seriously. Demon. No, six. Well, I think it says six inch. Six inch. Oh, six inch. Why would it be demon. six inches? I don't know. Well, I would think it would be six foot. That's why Probably. I started doing this because I was like... <laughs> Oh. A six-inch demon, like playing know, the devil goes down to Georgia, foot, and I wrote it wrong. I don't know. The devil goes down to Georgia. Some sort of six, 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 six. There you go. Terrible. Yeah. Now, in July two thousand and eight, Andre attempted suicide yet again. This time by attempting to cut his throat with a sharp object. They didn't specify what it was, but the wound required eight stitches, and he survived. Hmm. Fast forward to October two thousand and eight. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals denied his appeal, so no movement in the case at all. They like stuck with the conviction no they don't have to do anything for the rest of forever it's just uh yet another black man mm-hmm. who is uh living on death row who killed yeah. his wife and his babies seriously and a concurring he's a drug addict i mean that's awful yeah it's awful in a concurring opinion judge kathy cochran wrote quote although reasonable people might well differ on the questions of whether this applicant was sane at the time he committed the murders or competent at the time he was tried those issues were appropriately addressed by the defense the prosecution, trial judge, and the jury during the trial. This is a sad case. Applicant is clearly, quote, crazy, but he's also, quote, sane under Texas law. Applicant. Yeah, applicant. Not Andre Thomas. Not applicant. this person, not a human yeah. being, an applicant. So Leah Marie Hughes, which was the 13-month-old, her father uh, reportedly told the police after his daughter's murder that, quote, Andre Thomas was crazy, unstable, Everyone knew him and his entire family was crazy. I hate that fucking word. I hate that word, too. I hate that word. That's, like, such a, like, cloud over your head stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, so this judge, Kathy Cochran, was pretty much saying, like, yeah, he doesn't deserve the death penalty but he's because he's literally insane, but he doesn't meet all the requirements for being sane enough not to be put to death. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that... <sighs> now, That's just horrible. after noon on December 9th, 2008, a corrections officer assigned to Texas's death row was making a normal security round in Building 10 when he observed what appeared to be blood on the face of inmate Andre Thomas. Hmm. The inmate told the officer that he had pulled out his last good eye and eaten it. <gasps> so when he asked why he did this, he said it was to prevent... It was an impulse? Yeah. Just an impulse, in fact. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I just felt like ripping my only other eye out. Yeah. Um, so he said to prevent the United States federal government from reading his thoughts. So, again, not a, not a, you know understanding explanation. Yes. After that, he was treated in a hospital in Tyler, Texas, and then transferred to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice's Jester 4 unit, where prisoners with mental houses, (laughs) mental houses are ill, (laughs) where prisoners with mental illness are housed. So finally, 
Finally, his trial attorney said that he was able to finally get the psychiatric help that he needed. So we're going to fast forward a little bit more to March 16th, 2010, when Andre appeals to the Federal versus Eastern District Court, arguing that his trial was unfair and execution would be cruel and unusual punishment. Mm -hmm. The state denied his request. In early 2020, his case was actually brought before the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, where attorney Catherine Carroll said that Andre's original legal representation was ineffective and his trial's attorney failed to object to the selection of three jurors with biased opinions against interracial marriages. Thank you. She also stated that trial counsel did not present an accurate information about Thomas's longstanding mental health problems, didn't request a complete competency hearing, and presented a psychiatrist as an expert witness that did not have expertise in cases where mental illness were allegedly <laughs> drug-induced. Joseph oh my Black. God. He didn't even have expertise in that field. And what and he's year over is here, this? Like, this 2020. This is 2020. This is 2020. Yes. <laughs> and he's been in since pretty much 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. Now, and now people are saying like, oh, well, literally. Oh, my gosh. Now, in response, the prosecutor said that while there was evidence to support his mental illness, he was not insane. So the most recent thing that we've heard was in April 2021, the Fifth Circuit upheld the trial court's verdict. So Andre stays in jail where his eyelids are literally sewn shut because he doesn't have eyeballs. And I guess to keep from hurting himself, obviously. Yeah. But he's pretty much stuck there for the foreseeable future. And he's still on death row to this day. That's so sad. I will definitely post updates as I see them. Um, yeah. Currently, not much movement in his case. Wow. Isn't that a wild story? That is an intense case. That was a lot one. That was a lot for our first case. Yeah. <laughs> that was... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Thank you. Thank everybody for sticking through that. I know that was kind of, you know, a lot of information. The, the whole theme of him, of someone trying to reach out just to try to figure out what's going on in their head and literally no one can help them. It gets to a point to where that person can't even make that decision anymore. And yet he's still not being helped. It's really unfortunate. I think this is a a really bad case of, oh, whatever, he'll be fine. Or he's just being exaggeratory or that guy's just crazy or whatever you want to say. Like it's, it's truly tragic that he, that it ended up the way that it did because I genuinely think that, had he gotten the help that he needed, that it would have gone a completely different way. Yeah. And it might have been able to be prevented. Right. So our hearts absolutely go out to the victims. We're not in any way saying that, you know, they don't deserve their story to be told, which is exactly why we're doing this podcast. We, yeah. We want to advocate for the mental illness that the killer experienced, but we're not advocating for the killer. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, and, of course, our hearts go out to the families of the victims. And we, I'm glad we got they got justice. I don't believe that Andre Thomas deserves to be free. I do not believe he deserves to be on death row. I think that he needs to be housed in a mental housing unit for the yeah. rest of it. Or, a, you know, a psychi- psychiatric hospital. Right. You know. It's just unfortunate because I feel like at this point there's not, I don't think there's a lot that you could do to probably reverse the damage that's been done to his brain. Oh, yeah. And the the damage that has been allowed to continue with yeah. with his um, diagnosis, because, mm-hmm. I mean, really, we had two officials say that that's what they think that he has, but clearly he's never truly been evaluated. Yeah. And I think that if things had happened when he was younger and he had people that paid attention to him, parents, teachers, coaches, whatever, when he was 10 years old saying these things, yeah. that I think that he could have had a, a at least somewhat of a grasp. Yeah. And um, I think with a lot of mental illnesses and a lot of mental disorders, if you don't know what your brain is experiencing, you can't ever catch it. Of course. And you can't, if you don't know the ins and outs of, of the symptoms and you don't know what to look out for, I mean, it's really hard to 
to reach out to someone and say, I don't know what's going on, but it's easier to reach out to someone and say, I do kind of know what's going on. And I know that at this point I've reached my threshold and I need to find some, like an alternative to this. And he tried that so many times, even without the knowledge of what was going on in his brain. Yeah. And I truly believe that anybody and everybody should be required to take some sort of psychology course uh, in their, even in high school, honestly, Um, because just having that little bit of knowledge is very helpful for everyday situations. I use psychology every single day at work and I work in the service industry. Yeah. I use it every single day in order to, you know, make, solve problems or to, you know, resonate with someone that's going through something with my coworkers or a guest or whoever, you yeah. know, and it, it, it genuinely helps me mm-hmm. get through. And I, and I feel like humbled by it and mm-hmm. like I feel like I'm giving back to my you know community and my peers and stuff by being able to give that information and, and educate people in that sense yeah. and and I think that's really why both of us are so passionate about getting this podcast started is mm-hmm. because we really really like the stories of true crime and stuff and it's very interesting to us but the mental health advocacy is really I think the main goal here yeah um so we talked about schizophrenia in pieces during the episode uh, I think we'll, I don't know, we're, we're going to go into, I want to go into depth on certain um, mental illnesses, maybe yeah. in the future, but, uh, so that was the diagnosis that he was, I guess, loosely diagnosed with by those two mm-hmm. psychiatrists. Uh, schizophrenia, like I said, the number one symptom is auditory hallucinations. You're hearing voices, they're inside your head, you, you, people are talking to you, and you talk back to them. It also does come with a number of other things, like the catatonia. It comes with visual hallucinations yeah. you can see things that aren't there uh, it right. comes with uh, episodes of manic and mania and depression and there's a lot of things that go into schizophrenia and it's actually really prevalent it's like one percent of americans have schizophrenia it's a very prevalent disorder and you don't know like any literally anybody can have schizophrenia and yeah. you wouldn't know and they might not even know so right. it's nice to have that knowledge so you can be able to differentiate between okay is this person struggling with a mental illness or is there something else going on yeah. and if there is either one then you know how to approach it you know so sure. that's kind of a little bit of a s- tiny speck of information that we want to <laughs> give about you know uh, mental disorders but we'll definitely uh we'll definitely get some some info flowing yeah. out to you all thank you so much for listening guys yes, and i'm super happy episode i'm like really excited i think we're gonna i'm i'm Hopefully we're going to go far with this. So, you know, like I think we're going to we're going to do really well and I'm hoping that you guys are enjoying the first content that we're putting out and yeah. uh, let us know. Uh, again, Reach out. We'll try to get some lines of communication open and we'll, you know, we'll let you guys know as soon as we get those started and yeah. Woo-woo. In the meantime, uh, my name is Kenna just to remind everybody I know we're like brand new. So, this is Kenna speaking. I'm Koel. and we are sisters. We're sisters. And yeah, super excited to continue the rest of our our journey, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Bye. Love you. Bye. Love you.